Well, as I mentioned during our prayer time, for those of you who were not able to be with us last week, we kicked off a brand new series, which was based on an intentional evangelism initiative of the Evangelical Covenant Church called BLESS, which is an acronym, which we'll talk through more as we go along. Now, um, I know it's going to take some time to get, to get us to a place where those like shivers that go down our spine every time I say the word evangelism, that that'll go away. I know it takes some time. I know that other churches or sermons will use all kinds of different words to, to kind of soften the blow. So we'll talk about being a witness to kind of tone it down a bit because being a witness sounds a little more palatable than evangelism, especially in this day and age. But as we go through this series, I am going to keep referring to what we're talking about as evangelism. Because evangelism literally means good news. That's what the word is translated in Greek. Evangelism means good news. And I want us to remember that as scared as we are, what we have, for those of you who have chosen to follow Christ, is good news. It is good news for a world that is constantly bombarded with bad news. When we have good news to share about our jobs or our kids or our health, we're not afraid to share it with other people, right? Why? Because everybody loves good news. Everybody wants to hear good news. So if we can begin to see the message of Jesus Christ as actual good news for the world, my hope is that it will change our desire or our willingness to share it. Now, as we got started last week, I told you that every year when the pastors of the ECC gather for our midwinter event, which we did just a couple of weeks ago, that I always wonder what the hotel employees think of us. Do we treat them well? Do we cause any trouble? But more than anything else, I wonder if they hear or learn anything about Jesus while their hotel is filled with a thousand pastors for the week. I mentioned that while most hotel lobbies are fairly quiet, when midwinter rolls into town, the hotel lobby is filled with pastors chatting from sunrise to beyond sunset. Now, I don't know what your experience with pastors has been throughout your life, but I think that most people would typically describe pastors as a profession filled with good listeners, right? So not to shame any of my colleagues, but spend 10 minutes in the hotel lobby at midwinter and you will realize just how awful pastors can sometimes be at listening. For all of the amazing things that midwinter has to offer, there's this thing that happens there all of the time and it drives me crazy. And it has been dubbed the midwinter glance. Here's what it looks like. I actually need a volunteer for this. I won't make you do anything. You just have to talk to me for a minute. Phil, come on up. Perfect. Can you just stand facing me and just, just tell me a story? Any story. How your day was. It doesn't matter. Can you just start talking to me? So Phil's talking to me. I see him from across the hotel lobby. I'm so excited to see him. And he starts a conversation for a minute. And I act like I'm really interested in it. And then as he's talking, I just kind of do this. <laughs> it's just really subtle. You think it's really subtle. It's not really subtle at all. Mm -hmm. 
Perfect, thanks. <laughs> That's the midwinter glance. It's this idea, obviously, that you're in the middle of a conversation with somebody and you look like you're pretending. You're pretending really hard to look like you're interested in what they have to say, but you're constantly glancing over their shoulder to see who else is walking by because at midwinter there is always somebody else walking by that you know. I was absolutely terrible about this when I was younger. You know, when you are younger and you're more immature and you need other people to validate kind of your very existence in life? So despite my being an introvert, my eyes would dart every which way just looking for the next person that I might know despite the conversation that I happen to be in in the moment. And so my needs trumped the needs of the person with whom I was talking to in that moment. And I kid you not, it is because of midwinter, in large part because of midwinter, that I learned to take seriously my role as a listener. So many of us think that we are good listeners and most of us are not. There are a million reasons that people are generally poor listeners. One is the sheer volume of information that we consume in any given day. On average, they say that we take in or hear, I should say hear, not take in, that we hear 20 to 30,000 words a day. And I'm already adding an extra like 3,000 words to your day, so good luck with that. But those same, same statistics also show that we only remember 17 to 25% of what we hear in any given day. So we're poor listeners in part because our ability to remember is so much less than the sheer volume of information that we consume in a day. I have to mention because it came, it's in the research that one gender is better at listening than another. It's in, I'm just telling you what's in the research, okay? You can guess which half it is. Um, brain. <laughs> nope, I'm going to tell you. Um, brain research shows, shows that when men listen, this is legitimate, you can look it up, that when men listen, they only listen with half their brain. And that when women listen, they engage both lobes of their brain. There's so many rabbit trails right now. I'm just going to leave that for our married couples to deal with when they're on their way home from church today. Just throw it out there and let you do with it what you want. We also don't listen well because when we're, when we're listening, we think we're listening, we're really actually listening or thinking. We're thinking about what we want to say next, right? We especially do this when we are engaged in an argument or some kind of debate that instead of really listening to the other person's thoughts, we're already thinking about how we're going to retaliate with our own information. Is anyone guilty of ever having done this before? Okay, I feel like all of your hands should have been raised on that one, but it's fine. I can't go through them all, all of the reasons why we are terrible listeners. We interrupt people all of the time. We let our minds wander to other things. We make assumptions about what the other person is going to say next, and so we just tune them out. Mostly, we are poor listeners because we are selfish people. We are always thinking about ourselves, and most of us like to talk about ourselves. Most people would rather tell stories about ourselves than actually do the work of asking somebody else about their experiences. So... In a series on evangelism, why am I talking so much about our ability or lack thereof to listen? Well, in our BLESS acronym, the L in BLESS stands for listen with care. 
Now, when it comes to evangelism, or really to life in general, listening with care is twofold. We're talking about what it means to listen to God, to listen to the Holy Spirit, and we're talking about what it means to listen with care to the people in our lives. Dave, can you do something about the... Um, does anybody else hear this? It's just me. There's like a, a fuzzy, like a, thanks, sorry. It's driving me nuts. Sorry about that. Um, in order to do both of these things, in order to listen to the Holy Spirit well and in order to listen to other people well, we're going to be looking at the text that Terry just read for us from the book of Acts a few minutes ago. And so if you want to follow along, there's Bibles in front of you. There's Bible apps on your phone. You can use either one of those things. We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 8. And we're going to be looking at verses 26 through 40. 26 through 40. It is this really strange story of a man named Philip and a eunuch from Ethiopia. And I know it's a little strange already, but stick with me because it's really quite a powerful story. So at this point in scripture, Jesus has lived and died and been resurrected, and has been gone for some time now, and the church was starting to grow pretty quickly, and it was beginning to diversify some. We're now seeing more Greek-speaking, instead of Hebrew-speaking, both Jews and Gentiles joining the church communities. The churches were struggling to keep up with the rapid growth. Can you imagine that kind of a problem? <laughs> right. So what they did was they, cho they chose a small group of Greek-speaking people to help them with what we would call pastoral care or even some administrative tasks, particularly to Greek-speaking converts. Now, one of the people that they chose to do this was a man named Philip. Philip was a Greek Jew, which again made him stand out in a culture of predominantly Hebrew Jews. I'm telling you this in this story because as we continue on with the story, I want you to think about how Philip's cross-cultural background may have helped him in the situation that God placed him in. Okay, so Acts 8, 26. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. <clears throat> so we don't actually know where Philip was when God called him to do this. We don't know where, where in relation to this road south of Jerusalem that he was, but Luke is a very, very, very detailed writer, and so given the fact that Luke didn't care to share that information, it must not be that important. But it says in verse 27, so he, Philip, started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch an important official who was in charge of all of the treasury of the queen of Ethiopia. So it says he started out, or other translations of this text that you might see say, so he got up and went. So when we talk about listening to the Holy Spirit or we talk about listening to God, we see examples like this one of all over scripture. Philip heard God tell him that he should get up from where he was and go to this other place. And that is what he did. He doesn't know what awaits him. He just knows that God has instructed him and he wants to follow God. Now, I am guessing that for many of us, when we hear a passage like that, 
we immediately kind of dismiss this as something that applies to our own lives. Or maybe we sarcastically say something like, man, I wish an angel of the Lord would speak to me that clearly. Then I would be obedient to God. But I wonder, have you ever been in a situation where you just kind of felt like you were supposed to go over and talk to somebody? Or have you ever found yourself in a situation where you felt the need to check on someone and you had no rational reason why? I have a feeling that many of us have experienced what it means to be prompted by the Spirit. Some of us respond to that easily and well. Some of us have heard that prompting but don't do anything about it. Others have probably shut it down or dismissed it altogether. We all do that. Sometimes when we talk in church about listening to the Spirit, we imagine this like big lightning bolt moment where this shudder goes through our whole body and we are certain that God is speaking to us when so often I think the Spirit just whispers an idea or nudges us in a certain direction. That it's not always this big, bold, life-altering thing, but it's, it's often really quiet. So quiet that if we're not open to hearing it, we will miss it altogether. Anyway, so Philip responds to the Spirit, and he starts out on the way. He goes along the road, and he comes across an Ethiopian eunuch who was an important official in charge of all of the treasury of the queen of Ethiopia. So there are already about a thousand reasons why Philip should not be talking to the stranger. First of all, this stranger is black. When I said that the church was beginning to diversify, what I meant was that it was a big deal for them to go from a predominantly Hebrew-speaking Jewish community to incorporating a Greek-speaking Jewish community, but no doubt about it that they would have all looked the same still. They would have looked like what we would today call Middle Eastern. So now Philip runs across this stranger who is a completely different race. He also happens to be from Ethiopia. Ethiopia, to these people, would have been a strange, completely foreign completely unknown place. It encompasses what is now southern Egypt and northern Sudan, for those of you who are into geography. Do you remember that passage, that verse in the book of Acts in chapter 1 where it says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth? Do you remember that verse? Well, Ethiopia was the end of the earth to them, literally. When the gospel hit Samaria and Ethiopia, it was going to the last two geographical spheres in Acts 1.8. So it was crazy for Philip to approach somebody with a different skin color from a place like Ethiopia. But that's not all. At this time, only the wealthiest of people would have been riding around in a chariot as this stranger was. And so Philip knew just from seeing him that this would have been a person of high standing and that Philip was not, which was another reason that Philip should not have approached him. Another reason was because this stranger was a eunuch. 
and eunuchs were not allowed to participate in temple rituals, and they were rejected from the inclusion in the community. In other words, Philip would know that this man was technically not allowed to be a part of the Church of Israel, so why bother talking to him at all? So stop and think about all of the barriers here before Philip ever even said a word to this stranger. There were so many reasons for Philip to keep on walking or to turn the other way, and every single solitary social norm at the time would have affirmed his decision to keep on going without so much as acknowledging this man. But social norms were not what Philip was after. <clears throat> Excuse me. He was trying to be obedient to the Spirit's leading, and the Spirit had led him to this stranger. This is a great word to us when we think about people who look differently and act differently and think differently, especially when we think about people that the church has historically marginalized. It is not our job to decide who is in and who is out. If we are listening closely, God might just be calling us to speak to the people we would least expect. If only we would listen. So Philip sees this man that he felt called to talk to, and the man happens to be reading the book of Isaiah. How did Philip know that this man was reading the book of Isaiah? Because at that time, everybody read out loud. And so Philip literally would have heard the man reading the book of Isaiah. And I love this exchange that happens here in Acts 8, starting at verse 30. It says, Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come and sit with him. <clears throat> the reason that I love this, these two verses so much is because this stranger was obviously an educated, well-read man. He was not an idiot. But he was willing to humble himself to respond to Philip's question with an honest answer. So often, especially for those of us who have been in the church for a long time, we allow our pride to get in the way of things that are far more important. So we have this sense that because we've been in the church for so long that we should read the Bible more or that we should have a better understanding of every single thing we're reading in Scripture, but we don't, and we think we should. And so instead of asking questions or asking for help, we just go on not understanding. And here, this wealthy, learned man is willing to admit that while his intellect is such that he can understand the words that he is reading, his understanding of God is lacking enough that he doesn't know what the words actually mean. And so despite the stranger's social status and wealth, because Philip was compassionate enough to ask the stranger, do you have any questions? The stranger was kind enough to break all social norms and invite Philip up on his chariot to join him. And so Philip did. While I realize that this is not always the case, this is a great example of what God does behind the scenes. Meaning that we are often so focused on our own fear of speaking to other people 
that we lack trust that God might just be up to something on the other end, that God might just be working on the person that he has called us to talk to, maybe making the other person more receptive to what we have to say. Now, verse 32 and verse 33 show us which specific passage from the book of Isaiah that the eunuch was reading, and it comes from Isaiah 53. It is a story about a metaphorical lamb that is being led to slaughter, and the lamb silently endures his death and then is taken up from this earth. So we know, reading this passage, and reading either the passage from Isaiah or this particular passage in Acts, we know that this story is talking about the unjust humiliation and suffering that Christ endured on the cross, but this stranger would not have known that. And so he wants to know if the writer of the book of Isaiah was talking about himself or if he was talking about somebody else. And that one simple question becomes the foundation for Philip's ability to tell this man the good news of Jesus Christ. The eunuch's response to hearing this good news is that he wants to be baptized. Now, we don't usually all have encounters like that with other people. It'd be amazing if we did. But he, he wanted so much to be baptized that the first sign of water, he had them pull the chariot over. They got out of the chariot, went down to the water, and right there on the side of the road, Philip baptized this eunuch. This somewhat strange passage ends in an equally strange manner. In verses 39 and 40, it says, When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. And then it says that we see Philip later on in the town of Caesarea. It's a little strange. We don't know what happened. We just don't. We don't know if it was like, poof, Philip disappears. Uh, We don't know, and so I'm not going to spend any time speculating. You can imagine that if you want. But the Spirit took him away, uh, and and he went to go do some work someplace else. It clearly didn't seem to bother the eunuch much. He went on his way rejoicing, it says. So I said last week that my hope for this series is that we would rewrite our understanding of what evangelism is and, and that we'd recognize that it is about listening to God in our everyday experiences. That, so, so what do we have to learn about evangelism from this story? The first thing is that we often have this image of God when we think about evangelism. We get scared and we think about God calling us out of our normal everyday lives to suddenly become all street corner preachy, right? Philip is showing us here that God asks us to use our own experiences when we are with other people, particularly those who don't yet know Jesus. Philip knew what it meant to be an outsider. I already mentioned this, that early in the church, they were all Hebrew-speaking Jews. Philip spoke Greek. He knew what it felt like to be an outsider, He knew what it was to feel marginalized, which means he also knew how to see somebody else who felt marginalized. The Ethiopian fit in even less than Philip ever did, but Philip could relate, and so he did. So we have all lived some life, depending on your age, some more than others, or your experiences, some more than others. We all have stories to share, 
And we'll talk about that in the last S of bless in a few weeks. But if you know, if you know what it is to experience something in life, if you know what it is, as an example, to be an outsider to the church for whatever reason, then allow God to use that experience to intentionally welcome other people who might feel like outsiders to the church. If you went through a season of your life that was dark, where you felt like God was gone, or you felt like you were angry with God, and you were able to come out the other side of that, maybe God would allow you to use that to see somebody else who is in that dark kind of space because you are in a unique position to see somebody that other people are not going to see. Maybe you're divorced. Maybe you raised or are raising kids who have turned their back on God. Maybe you've been through a serious illness or you've lost a child or your life has turned out so drastically different than you imagined it ever would. We say often around here that God wastes nothing. I have it tattooed on my foot. That's how much I mean it. God wastes nothing. So whatever of your life that you allow God to use, he will use. And I believe that God is simply asking us to start with what we have. We don't need to be something that we're not. If you are an introvert, you don't need to be an extrovert. Extrovert. If you don't have a big personality, you don't have to make one up. You don't need to be a preacher. You don't need to be a teacher if you're not. You have people in your daily lives who are hurting or lost or lonely, and God is asking you to listen to them, to listen to the Spirit leading you to these people, and then to be willing to listen, to meet people wherever they are in their lives. There's an author named Michael Nichols who wrote this incredible book that I love called The Lost Art of Listening. And in it, he says that being listened to spells the difference between feeling accepted and feeling isolated. So often we think that we have to have the Bible memorized in order to live out the love of Christ to one another. While I obviously think that knowing scripture is important for a multitude of reasons, I also think that sometimes God is asking you to start by using what you already know, what you've already experienced, that you would really see the people in your life. It is time-consuming, though. And in a world obsessed with time, not ever having enough of it, always trying to find more, listening to others seems to fall by the wayside. Do you remember the names John and Charles Wesley? Does that sound familiar to you? John is known as the father of the Methodist Church. And if you open any hymnal anywhere, you'll see his brother Charles' name all over the place. Well, once their mother, Susanna, was quoted as saying, I love to awake every morning and to ask God to help me see the interruptions of my day as the primary work of God for that day. I love to awake every morning and ask God to help me see the interruptions of my day as the primary work of God for that day. 
We often wonder why we can't hear the Spirit speaking to us, and then we get super annoyed when our day is interrupted by whatever. Have you ever stopped to wonder if there is a connection there? Do you honestly think that Philip woke up that morning, that morning and as he was planning out his day, he thought, I think for today I will walk down some abandoned desert road with no idea of what is going to happen. That was not on Philip's agenda for the day. But Philip's willingness to have his day interrupted by the Spirit led to a man's life being changed. And this man was in a position of great authority, and so who knows who else the Ethiopian told about Jesus? Philip's willingness to be interrupted may have saved that whole man's entire family. It may have saved the queen's entire castle. It may have saved the entire country of Ethiopia at that time. People typically won't accept Jesus if they don't feel a need for Jesus. And we can't help people understand their need for Jesus if we aren't willing to be interrupted long enough to hear people's felt needs. It's as if Luke, who is the author of the book of Acts, it's as if he plants this story right in scripture at this incredibly vital moment in the life of the church when the good news of Jesus is finally starting to go out into the broader world. It's as if Luke is trying to get us to see that wherever we go, whatever cultures we experience or encounter, whatever situation of human need or human sin or exclusion or oppression that we may come across, that whatever the need is, the good news of Jesus Christ is the only thing that can meet it. But we have to be willing to take the time to listen, both to the Spirit and to the people that God has set in our lives. And here's the thing. Let's not make this more complicated than it is. Someone shared this past community night that one of the names they wrote down on their bookmark was the name of a coworker that she often will go days without ever encountering. And she prayed a simple prayer that God would put this woman in her path. That was it. That was her prayer, that God would put this woman in her path. And sure enough, they ran into each other first thing in the morning. And later in that day, that same woman sought her out and came into her office, and the person from our church just sat and listened. She let her day be interrupted, recognizing that this interruption was actually an answer to prayer. We feel this sense of anxiety and fear around evangelism because we think that we are forcing religion down someone else's throat. But Jesus never asked us to tell anyone about religion, ever. Jesus asked us to tell other people about himself. The love of God has changed my life in far more ways than I have time to tell you about this morning. I have found wholeness. I have found acceptance. I have found peace. I have found hope. I have found incredible healing and profound love because of Jesus Christ. I don't have to look very far to find people in my life who are lacking the very things that I have found in Jesus. 
It's not that I am better than them. No way. You know me better than that. It's that I have experienced something that they have yet to experience. And it changed me. And when the love of Christ profoundly changes you, you want everyone you know to experience that change too. The world just keeps getting busier. And it just keeps getting louder. And listening is becoming a lost art. You have people all around you who are literally dying to be heard. And so let your day be interrupted. Put others' needs above your own and don't just hear, but really listen to the people around you. I promise you that God is putting you in positions to be uniquely used to care well for the people around you. If only you have ears to hear. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks for this kind of unusual story of this person named Philip that you used. God, he was uniquely positioned in his life to speak to the eunuch that day. He knew what it was to be an outsider to the church. He was further enough along in his faith that he was able to ask this man simply if he had questions. He was willing to be used by you and he was willing to listen to the needs of this stranger. God, we live life at such a breakneck speed that we don't even see the strangers around us half the time. For that matter, we don't even see the people that we know around us half the time. God, help us to listen. Would you help us to discipline ourselves enough that amidst the noise and amidst the chaos, whether it's internal or external, that we would be able to hear you? That when you call us to go, we would go? When you nudge us to speak to somebody that we would? God, it is not our job to save people. We know that. But so often you have put us in positions where simply by listening to somebody else's hurt and to somebody else's pain, you put us in a position where we get to be your love to them. God, may we be willing to have our day and our lives interrupted. We pray all these things in your name.